Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome in to episode number 20 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron. Thank you so much for joining me on another great episode. We're going to get into all the big fights, chiefly Vasily Lomachenko against Tiafimo Lopez, and also, of course, Khabib against Justin Gaethje at UFC 254. But before I get into all the fights, I just want to congratulate the World Series 2020 champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's the first time in my lifetime that I witnessed them win a championship. It had been 32 years. They last won it in 1988, and now they won it in 2020, same year that the Lakers won it. Also in 2020, amazing stuff by the Dodgers. They were the most complete team all year, the best team all year. Even when they were down 3-1 to the Braves, they were able to come back and rally. And then uh, when they lost that game that they shouldn't have lost, uh, Game 4 against Tampa Bay, they came back and won the next two games, showing the heart of a champion. And, uh, you know, they won that Game 6. It was really a bullpen game. They pulled out uh, Tony Gosselin in the second inning and then went into their bullpen arms from Alex Wood to uh, Gratterall to Gonzalez. And then they, of course, finished it off with a great Julio Urias performance. So great performance uh, from the Mexican Julio Urias. Uh, Big props to him for bringing home this W. But, of course, everyone is questioning why they're pulling Blake Snell, I believe, in the sixth inning when he had only allowed two hits, nine strikeouts. The Dodgers absolutely could not hit him. And then guess what? As soon as they pull him, Mookie Betts hits a double. They score their first run to tie the game on a wild pitch. Mookie Betts scores their second run on an infield hit right to first base. Somehow he beats out the throw. Most guys aren't going to beat that throw. And then they're up 2-1. And then Mookie Betts hits a home run in the... Uh, other inning just to extend the lead and that was it and all season long these Dodgers really have had the best offense in baseball they had the best regular season record I mean when you got a lineup of Bellinger, Seager, you got Jock Peterson, Max Muncy, Mookie Betts I mean this team is built to get hits and grind out runs and that's exactly what they did all postseason long a big shout out to the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, as well. Randy Rosarina has arrived, one of the most impressive rookies that we've seen in the game in quite a while. So big props to Randy Rosarena, who did hit that first inning home run to give the Rays a, a one-run lead. However, it didn't last for the whole game, as of course we know. And big shout out to Blake Snell, who pitched an amazing game but unfortunately was pulled by his manager too soon. And of course, uh, as a Rays fan, you want to see him keep pitching. But as a Dodgers fan, I was breathing a sigh of relief when I saw Snell get pulled from the game because I knew now the Dodgers had a chance to actually string together some hits and maybe win the game, which is indeed what they did. And then post-game, when you hear the players saying, oh, yeah, when he got pulled, I finally felt like I could actually get a hit. That's not what you want to hear as the opposing manager when the other team is saying it was to their benefit that he got pulled. 
So, of course, that's always going to be talked about, especially because it was in the deciding game. Nonetheless, you can't take anything away from the Dodgers, and I really feel very happy for Clayton Kershaw, who has had his share of postseason struggles in the past. Finally, he got over the hump and helped uh, his team win the World Series. He won two games starting as the pitcher uh, during the World Series, and he pitched great in uh, both of them. So big props to Clayton Kershaw for finally getting over that hump. And now a word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. And uh, this weekend, I think I'll be betting on Gervonta Davis to beat Leo Santa Cruz and also Alexander Usyk to beat Derek Chisora. For game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network. Now I would like to get into some boxing recaps. I'm going to go ahead and start with the big fight card that happened on October 17th on ESPN. And I'll go ahead and start with Edgar Berlanga against Lionel Bellows. Guess what? Another first round knockout for Edgar Berlanga. Berlanga is 23 years old and he might just be the hardest hitter in all of boxing. I mean he's got 15 wins, 15 wins by KO and all those knockouts have come in the first round. Now, of course, he's only 23, and I think it's about time for him to take a step up in competition to see if he really is this good or if the guys he's fighting are just not up to his level. But you can see when he punches and lands that it's doing significant damage. His opponent does not like to get hit by him, and even when he doesn't throw his hardest punches, they still seem to hurt his opponent and really do a lot of damage. It just shows he's very heavy-handed. He punches like a heavyweight, it seems, with the force he can generate. And what's even more impressive about Berlanga is that he doesn't go hunting for the knockouts. He lets it come to him during the fight, and that just happens to be in the first round 15 times to start his professional career. And he's very patient, he's very accurate, but he's also very devastating with his punches. I cannot wait to see this guy fight again. Hopefully it's a, against an opponent that can actually challenge him a little bit. But if it's not, who doesn't love a first round knockout? There's nothing really more impressive than a first round knockout. I'm very impressed obviously by Berlanga. His power, his speed, his accuracy. He's just very big for a super middleweight. And I can't wait to see him fight again. Berlanga is definitely a force to be reckoned with in the super middleweight division. And it's going to be very hard for him to be beaten. Because although we haven't really seen how great his defense is, we know his offense is absolutely devastating. Now I'm going to go ahead and move on to the co-main event. On that evening, it was between Arnold Barboza Jr. 
and Alex Salcedo. As I predicted, I thought Barbosa Jr. would win by unanimous decision. He just proved to be the better boxer in there, and although he did mix it up at times against Salcedo, he was still usually able to get the better of him because he was able to punch in between punches and really counterpunch very effectively and really control most of the rounds. Salcedo might have won one or two rounds, and other than that knockdown that Salcedo scored in, I believe, the eighth or ninth round, it really wasn't very much success for Salcedo. He was really more on the back foot, really taking a lot of punishment from Arnold Barbosa Jr. And Barbosa Jr., he's still only 28 years old, and he has 25 wins, 10 by knockout, and 15 by decision. And he really impressed me. I think he's getting better with each fight. And in his biggest fight of his career against Alex Salcedo, he absolutely showed his quality, his power, his ability to get in and out of range. And perhaps he could be a contender to fight Jose Ramirez or Josh Taylor at 140 pounds because he's definitely one of the top guys in that division and absolutely showed all his different qualities against a very game and tough opponent in Salcedo who's willing to come forward, willing to exchange to land his own punches. However, on this night, he wasn't able to do enough to get the decision against the very skilled boxer in Arnold Barbosa Jr. And let's just uh, check out the fight stats here. Barbosa landed 218 punches and he landed 188 power punches. Uh, conversely, Saucedo only landed 183 punches. So that's not quite going to get it done. A competitive fight, but definitely Barbosa Jr. got the better of most of the exchanges. And his opponent, Alex Saucedo, is only 26 years old, so he still has time to improve on his deficiencies, and I expect he'll be back and uh, given an even better performance in his next fight. Both these guys are very exciting fighters, but Barbosa Jr. clearly showed he's just on another level in terms of boxing skill than Saucedo is at this point in his career. Now let's move on to the main event between Vasily Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez. Clearly, I was most impressed with the boxing skill of Teofimo Lopez Jr. I didn't know he had all those skills in his bag because usually we just see him walk right through guys and knock them out. But against Lomachenko, he showed a different game plan, really going to the body a lot of Lomachenko and mixing it up to the head, throwing a lot of punches, definitely the much more active fighter in there. And for the first half of the fight, Lomachenko barely threw a punch. I was wondering what's going on here. It's going to be very hard for him to win when he's not landing any punches. And this could be partly due to the power and size of Lopez. It could also be because Lomachenko was carrying a shoulder injury coming into this fight. And after the fight, he has undergone shoulder surgery. Maybe he wasn't fully healthy, couldn't throw all the punches he wanted to. I'm not really sure the explanation, but for the first half of that fight, it did not look like the Lomachenko we are used to seeing. But you got to give a lot of credit to Lopez for taking advantage of those rounds where Lomachenko wasn't doing much and he was able to land his own punches, which is not easy to do against the lightning quick Lomachenko. However, in the second half of the fight, Lomachenko picked up his work rate, was able to land more punches, 
and really make it more of a back-and-forth fight against Lopez. However, his inactivity in the first half of the fight, and then, of course, I thought he lost the 12th and final round against Lopez, and that's indeed why he ended up losing by unanimous decision to Tiafimo Lopez. However, that one judge's scorecard, 109 to 119, I'm not really sure what fight they were watching because it was clearly much closer than that. I'll say Lopez won seven rounds and uh, Lomachenko won five rounds. Uh, You could even say it was 6-6 and could have been ruled a draw, but clearly it was a very close fight as Lomachenko picked up the pace and his work rate in the second half. In round 7 through 12 is really when Lomachenko picked up his pace. Now here are the stats for the fight. Lomachenko threw only 321 punches and landed 141 for a 44% connect rate and 20 to the body. His opponent, Tiafimo Lopez, threw 659 punches, landing 183 for a 28% connect rate and 34 to the body. Now, it's unclear whether or not these two boxers will have a rematch, but post-fight Tiafimo Lopez Jr. said perhaps he wants to move up to 140 and challenge the winner of Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor to become the undisputed champion, not only at 135 pounds, but also at 140 pounds. So we'll see if he can become a two-division undisputed champion. That would be quite the accomplishment for the young Lopez. And for Vasily Lomachenko, it's unclear where he goes from here. Clearly, he has to recover from his shoulder surgery. And then after that, hopefully we see him back in the ring and looking like his old self once again. One of the greatest boxers in the world. He just ran up a guy that was bigger, stronger, and was throwing more punches. But one of the main reasons that Lopez Jr. had so much success in this fight is because he didn't let Lomachenko get comfortable and work behind his jab and set up his punches from the weird angles that he likes to throw from. And I thought that Lopez Jr. did a great job of utilizing his footwork to get in and out of range and put himself in advantageous positions where usually Lomachenko is in those great positions. However, this fight, the tables were turned and the young fighter was able to get the better of Lomachenko over the course of 12 rounds. I thought Lomachenko definitely had his moments where he was landing clean punches on the head of Lopez Jr., but Lopez had the better body work, landing 34 punches to the body versus only 20 for Lomachenko, and he landed more punches, was more active, was able to use better angles to get out of range of Lomachenko's attacks and really make it more of an awkward fight for Lomachenko than what he's used to against most opponents. So give a lot of credit to Lopez Jr. for showing his great boxing acumen, not just being a power puncher, but also showing he can box and beat one of the best boxers in the world in Lomachenko at his own game. Very impressive stuff, and we'll see where both fighters go from here. Obviously a big disappointment for Lomachenko, but in his next fight, he knows he needs to be more active 
in order to get the decision or the knockout against whoever his opponent is. So hopefully he can learn from this lackluster performance and look better in his next fight. And for Lopez Jr., he's just going to keep improving and getting better. You combine his boxing skills with his power punching and ability to get knockouts, this guy is an exciting, fan-friendly fighter and now the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. So big props to Lopez Jr. for pulling off the upset. And for Lomachenko, hopefully he looks better in his next fight. Now I'd like to get to the next fight card, which was on Friday, October 23rd from Mexico City, Mexico. Really one of the strongest fight cards of the year, featuring great Mexican boxers. In the third fight on the card, we had Julio Cesar Martinez taking on Moises Caleros for Martinez WBC flyweight title, which he retained via second round TKO over Caleros. His opponent was just overmatched in there, and the ability, the activity of Cesar Martinez was enough to get the win, and he's still improving. This guy, uh, he's only 25 years old. He's a very impressive boxer with a lot of skills. Fan-friendly fighter because he likes to come forward and throw a lot of punches. And his record is now 17-1 with one no contest. And he has 13 wins by knockout and four by decision. So clearly this guy is one of the best flyweights in the world. And he's beaten some pretty impressive fighters. He's beaten Andrew Selby, Charlie Edwards, Christopher Rosales, Jay Harris, and now Moises Caleros. We'll see who he gets matched up with next. But clearly this guy comes to fight. He loves to really give the fans a great fight because of his come forward action style. And that's exactly what he employed against Moises Caleros. So very impressive performance for Julio Cesar Martinez. And we'll see where he goes from here. Clearly they just want to get him a fight. Maybe not against the best opponent, but just to keep him active. He's definitely one of the best uh, smaller fighters in the world. He only stands at 5'2", but boy does he pack a punch. And the other champions at flyweight at 112 pounds are Artem Dalakian of Ukraine, Luis Concepcion, the interim champion from Panama, of course Julio Cesar Martinez as the WBC champ, and the other champ is Moruti Mathalane from South Africa. So maybe he can get a unification bout between one of the other champions, because right now each of the belts are held by different fighters. So we'll see if they can indeed unify that division. But for now, I think Julio Cesar Martinez is the best flyweight in the world. Now, let's move on to the co-main event of that evening between Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez and Israel Gonzalez. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez stands at five foot three, while his opponent Israel Gonzalez stands at five foot six. I thought his opponent, Israel Gonzalez, might have won two or three rounds, but a majority of the fight was dominated by Roman Gonzalez as he was able to land a lot of punches 
in close range, and that's exactly what he likes to do. He likes to get on the inside and throw a lot of punches because of his short stature and high volume of punches that he likes to throw in his fights. And once again, that was the same story against Israel Gonzalez, as Roman Gonzalez won by unanimous decision after 12 rounds of a very entertaining fight, as it always is whenever Roman Gonzalez steps into the ring. And his record now stands at 50-2. His only two career losses have come to Sirikusite Sor Rungvisai, and that was back in 2017. Since those two losses to Sor Rungvisai, he's went on to beat Moises Fuentes by 5th round KO, Dimiol Daikos by 2nd round TKO, Kal Yafi by 9th round TKO, and Israel Gonzalez most recently by a 12 round unanimous decision win. The three judges scored it 118-110, 116-112, and 117-111, all for the winner, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. While his opponent, Israel Gonzalez, did have a few rounds where he did win, a majority of the fight was dominated by Gonzalez and his very impressive work rate. It seems like he never stops coming forward, never stops throwing punches, and he's able to get on the inside, really able to work the body of his opponent, and then that opens up the head, which is what makes him such a devastating fighter to go up against because of his activity level and his ability to string combinations together both to the head and body of his opponents. And with that win, Roman Gonzalez retained his WBA super flyweight title. So big props to him for coming back and getting some big wins following his two losses to Circusite Sor Rungvisai. One of the most exciting fighters in the sport. Whenever Roman Gonzalez is in a fight, you're definitely going to want to tune in and watch. And in the main event on that night, we had Juan Francisco Estrada, who just might be the best super flyweight in the world, taking on Carlos Cuadras. And Juan Francisco Estrada won by TKO in the 11th round to retain his WBC and the ring super flyweight titles. This, of course, could set up a rematch between Roman Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. They last fought back in 2012 with Roman Gonzalez winning by unanimous decision. I'm definitely interested to see how their rematch would go because Juan Francisco Estrada looked absolutely amazing against Carlos Cuadras, although he did have to overcome a knockdown in the early rounds. He was able to come uh, live in the later rounds, really push forward, and win most of the rounds after his early knockdown. And that's why he ended up getting the finish in the 11th round. And this was actually a rematch between him and Carlos Cuadras. They previously fought back in 2017 with Juan Francisco Estrada winning by unanimous decision over Carlos Cuadras in a very close fight. But their fight three years later in 2020, um, I thought Francisco 
Francisco Estrada left no doubt who the better fighter was, and that was indeed him on the night. And I think in his rematch against Roman Gonzalez, he might even be a slight favorite because he really impressed me against Carlos Quadras, how he was able to overcome that early knockdown and really show all his boxing skills. Show the ability to come forward and land his own punches while also avoiding most of the punches that were coming from Quadras. It was a really impressive performance from him as he was able to throw a lot of looping punches around the guard of Quadras along with some big straight rights that were really able to push back the very aggressive opponent that he was fighting. And when these two guys fight, it's bound to be exciting. I thought it was one of the fights of the year between Quadros and Estrada, both guys landing punches. But as the rounds wore on into the back half of the fight, I thought that Estrada was starting to pull away with his superior boxing skill, his more accurate punching, and his overall activity level. And what really set up the knockout for Estrada in the 11th round was all the body work he did on Quadras, really landing a lot of shots to the body, which you could see was taking the air out of Quadras and the steam out of some of his punches. And Estrada really used that well-rounded attack to overcome a very tough opponent in Quadras, who he barely beat uh, when they fought back in 2017. However, their rematch in 2020 was definitely more dominated by Estrada, despite the knockdown in round three that Quadras landed on Estrada. So I'm really looking forward. Hopefully we get a rematch between Roman Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. And also, Sering Visaitsor Rungvisai, maybe he gets the winner of that fight. We'll see how the super flyweight division plays out. But no doubt a great night of boxing uh, for Mexico City. If you didn't check out the card, I definitely recommend going back and watching it. It was on Dazan, so uh, go ahead and check out some great super flyweights in action. And no date yet has been announced on the rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez. However, it is widely expected to happen and I'm really looking forward to that fight. Should happen in early 2021. And once again, a big congratulations to Roman Gonzalez for resurrecting his career following his two losses to Sorekosite Sor Ringvisai. Now, let's get to the main event on October 24th on Showtime between Sergei Lepinets and Custio. Clayton 12 rounds for the vacant IBF interim welterweight title. This was a very close and competitive fight, which is why it was ruled a majority draw. The judges had it 114-114, 114-114, and 115-113 for Clayton. So one judge did see it for the underdog Clayton, who definitely arrived on the scene and showed what he's all about against the top welterweight in Sergei Lipinets, who definitely showed some ring rust. Lipinets last fought in July of 2019, getting a second round TKO against Jair Inson. And then after that, he fought in October of 2020, his most recent fight against the Canadian welterweight 
Castillo Clayton, and I was really impressed by Clayton's performance. It was very disciplined, and he showed good work to the body and head, never really let Lipinets get going. And uh, Lipinets' only career loss has come to Mikey Garcia by unanimous decision back in 2018. No shame in that. And Castillo Clayton was a late replacement for this fight, but he got a big opportunity in the main event on Showtime and definitely took full advantage of it, uh, really pushing Lipinets to the limit in a great back-and-forth fight. Maybe not the most exciting fight, but definitely a fight where Clayton showed all his boxing skills and really made great in-fight adjustments. As in the early rounds, I thought Libanets might walk right through him and knock him out. That didn't end up happening. As in the later rounds, I thought Clayton really took over and really started to find more of his rhythm and more of his punches. Now let's take a look at the fight stats for this main event on Showtime this past Saturday. In Lipinets, he landed 175 of 610 total punches and 80 punches to the body of Clayton. Clayton landed 247 out of 687 punches and 21 punches to the body of Lipinets. So Lipinets had a 29% connect rate while Clayton had a 36% connect rate. So Clayton outlanded him 247 to 175 and he really controlled a lot of the rounds. I thought he might have even won the fight but a draw, a majority draw is definitely a fair decision and for Lipinets he's definitely got to look at this fight, look what he did wrong and improve on it and for Clayton he couldn't have really asked for a better performance as the underdog coming into this fight and he definitely announced himself as a welterweight that could give any fighter problems. So we'll see where both fighters go from here. I believe they're both open to a rematch. If that indeed does happen, we'll see. And if not, Lipinets probably needs another tune-up fight before he fights the big welterweights in the division, like a rematch with Mikey Garcia or another top fighter, maybe an Errol Spence Jr. We'll see where he goes from here. And for Clayton, he's just got to keep building on this and uh, keep getting matched up with great opponents that really will test his skills. So give a lot of credit to Castillo Clayton who came out with the career best performance in his biggest fight to date. And for Sergey Lipinets, it was definitely not the type of performance he wanted coming back after more than a year off. But this just shows he's still got to improve. But obviously he's shown in his past fights what an impressive and fan-friendly fighter he is. I mean, he retired Lamont Peterson, getting a TKO in the 10th round over him back in March of 2019, one of the fights of the year. So he's definitely capable of that type of performance. But against Castillo Clayton, his exciting style was mostly muted by the disciplined boxing approach of his opponent. So that will conclude my boxing recaps for this episode. I definitely thought the best fight out of all of them was the one between Juan Francisco Estrada and Carlos Cuadras. Now let's move on to some UFC recaps. I'll go ahead and start out with UFC Fight Night Ortega versus the Korean Zombie. 
and this was back on October 17th from the Flash Forum in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and in the co-main event, we had Caitlin Chukagian taking on Jessica Andrade, and I said in my pre-fight preview on my last episode, I thought that Andrade's power and skills would be just too much for Chikugian to overcome, and that's indeed what happened as she finished her in the first round with a knockout, really set up with some great um, body work. She landed some shots to the body that really hurt Chikugian and then finished her off to the head. As you could see, she did not want to be in there any longer, and Andrade got her out of there pretty quickly at the end of the first round. And let's look at the fight stats here. Andrade landed 62 total strikes, Chikugian only 27, and Andrade was 2 of 3 on her takedown attempts for 2 minutes and 26 seconds of ground control time. Chikugian with only 25 seconds of ground control time. And really what set up the knockout for Andrade was her body shots, her kicks to the body of Chikugian, which she could not withstand. And then she finished her off um, as she crumbled to the ground. And that was the end of the fight. Very impressive performance from Andrade. What I expected from her against an inferior opponent in Chikugian. And Chikugian can beat most fighters that she goes up against. But when she gets up to that elite level of the sport against fighters like Jessica Andrade or Valentina Shevchenko, she falters and she can't quite match their level of skill. And that showed itself once again against the very aggressive Jessica Andrade, who put on just the type of performance she needed to set herself up maybe for another rematch with Rose Namajunas. So we'll see what happens there. But if she doesn't get her next, she's definitely going to be a fighter to watch out for in the flyweight division as the former flyweight champion. Her only recent losses came to Joanna Juresic, Zhang Wei Li, and Rose Namajunas. Of course, I'd love to see a rematch between her and Joanna Juresic. Uh, Maybe that could happen. That Polish fighter, she put on perhaps the fight of the year against Zhang Wei Li when they fought for the title. And I would love to see them, you know, fight once again. But if not, maybe you run it back with Rose Namajunas for a third time, their rubber match. Both fighters have won uh, one fight each, so maybe they fight a third time. If not, as I said, I'd love to see her get a rematch against Joanna Juresic. If not that fight, then maybe you match her up against Michelle Watterson, who recently got a big win over Angela Hill. So there's clearly a lot of exciting opponents out there for Jessica Andrade who maybe could recapture the title one day. But right now I see Zhang Wei Li and of course Valentina Shevchenko not giving up their title anytime soon. So we'll see what happens in the women's division, in the flyweight division. But clearly this was exactly the type of performance Jessica Andrade needed to cement herself as an elite flyweight. And the power, the pace, the body kicks, and the punches of Andrade ended up being too much for the taller Chikugian who could not withstand Andrade's pressure, her power, or 
her overall determination to get the job done in the first round. And just taking a look at the body shots here, Chikugian landed 12 out of 18 body shots, and Andrade was even more impressive, landing 11 of 12 body shots and 6 of 7 kicks to the legs of Chikugian. Clearly the body shots and the leg kicks really wore down Chikugian over the course of that first round. And that's indeed why she was finished. She just couldn't withstand that power. And even though Chikugian is 5'9 and her opponent Andrade is only 5'1, that 8 inch height advantage for Chikugian in fact seemed to not work in her favor because she was a bigger target for Andrade and she just couldn't get out of the way of her strikes because she wasn't as quick as Andrade. Now let's get to the main event of the evening, a featherweight fight between Brian Ortega and Chan Sung Jung, otherwise known as the Korean Zombie. And this was really total domination by Brian Ortega. And what's really impressive here from Brian Ortega is that his last fight was all the way back in December of 2018. But he didn't really show any octagon rust when he stepped in to fight the Korean Zombie. And in his previous fight, he lost by a Dr. Stoppage TKO to the former champion Max Holloway, his only career loss. And with this big win over the Korean Zombie, maybe he sets himself up for a rematch against Max Holloway, if not a title shot against Alexander Volkanovsky. Ortega stands at 5'8 with a 69-inch reach, and his opponent, the Korean Zombie, is 5'7 with a 72-inch reach. So even though he had a 3-inch reach advantage and a 1-inch height disadvantage, I thought that Ortega definitely looked like the longer fighter in there, as he was really able to use distance very well, to keep the come forward striker in the Korean Zombie at bay. And this was really impressive to me because we've never really seen such a well-rounded performance from Brian Ortega until he fought the Korean Zombie. So I think that long layoff did him a lot of good. He really came back better than ever, improved in all aspects of the fight game, from striking, from takedowns, to overall octagon aggression and activity in there and you look at the fight stats for this fight a unanimous decision win for Ortega 50-45 on all three judges scorecards so they thought he won all five rounds doesn't really get much better than that he had two knockdowns of the Korean zombie 129 total strikes and he had 57 seconds of ground control time with three takedowns out of 10 attempts. And he really did a good job of mixing up his striking attack, 64 to the head, 22 to the body, and 41 to the legs. It really doesn't get any better than that. And his opponent, the Korean Zombie, he only landed 64 total strikes, 35 to the head, 14 to the body, and 13 to the legs. So when you get outstruck 129 to 64, there's no real way you're going to win that fight. 
I just thought that Ortega was the quicker fighter in there, quicker to the punch or to the kicks. He really was able to control the distance very well in there against an opponent that likes to come forward and put the pressure on Ortega and really make it a dirty fight that's fought in close range. Ortega wanted none of that, keeping this fight at a longer distance away and really able to control what the Korean Zombie was trying to do, able to counterpunch effectively. And whenever the Korean Zombie would come forward, he would usually be greeted by a jab of Ortega followed by a right hand. So really nice combination punching we saw from Ortega. Definitely looks like a guy that could be challenging for the featherweight title in the not too distant future. So we'll see what happens in that division. But the type of performance he needed in order to reestablish himself as a top featherweight. It's good to see him back in the octagon. He's one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. Always puts on exciting fights. And even though he lost to Max Holloway, a rematch between them is definitely warranted. The Korean Zombie is really effective when he's able to string together his punches and really get into a good striking rhythm. Against Ortega, he was never able to do that because of the solid counterpunching of Ortega and how he always kept him off balance, giving him different looks from throwing kicks to punches. Really great striking versatility we saw from Ortega. That's why he got the unanimous decision win. So for Ortega, I'd love to see him take on either Max Holloway or Alexander Volkanovsky in his next fight. And for the Korean Zombie, who wouldn't want to see a rematch between him and Yair Rodriguez? One of the most exciting fights, probably the fight of the year in 2018. I'd love to see them run it back again. And Yair Rodriguez was actually scheduled to take on Zabit Mago Medsharipov. However, that fight fell through because Rodriguez pulled out with injury. He had a high ankle sprain, so that fight was unable to go on. But there's no doubt that Zabit Magomed Sharipov is definitely a title contender. He's undefeated in the octagon. And I'd love to see him get a shot at a guy like Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, or even Alexander Volkanovsky if they can't make the fight happen with Yair Rodriguez. So definitely a lot of big featherweight matchups to look out for. And Brian Ortega got a big win over a fellow top featherweight in the Korean Zombie. And that will conclude my recap for UFC Fight Night Ortega vs. the Korean Zombie. Now let's move on to my recap of UFC 254 Khabib vs. Gaethje. And I'm going to go ahead and start with the third fight on the card between Alexander Volkov and Walt Harris. Now I thought Volkov would win this fight even though he didn't look that good in his last fight against Curtis Blades. But I thought the reason he would have an advantage in this fight is because he's the bigger fighter, the longer fighter, the guy that can use more kicks and more punches to really diversify his striking attack. And that's exactly what you saw when he took on Walt Harris. You could see he could really keep him at range with his long punches or even longer kicks where Walt Harris really couldn't get on the inside and really get anything going and it was pretty much pretty smooth sailing 
for Alexander Volkov, who really needed this type of performance following that disappointing loss to Curtis Blades, where he was taken down over and over again, and Blades really just dominated him with the wrestling. But in this fight, Walt Harris didn't have the wrestling chops to really be able to do that to Volkov, and he really couldn't get any strikes going. And uh, that's found out also in the stats when you look at, look at them. And in the fight stats, we see Harris landed 16 out of 58 total strikes. 16 strikes will definitely not get it done. And he was 0 of 1 for his uh, one takedown attempt. So clearly not having the wrestling chops that Curtis Blades did when he dominated Alexander Volkov. And then you look at Volkov's uh, stats here. He landed 45 out of 73 total strikes. So really efficient, landing 45 out of 73. 32 landed to the head, 11 to the body, and 2 to the legs. So really he could just keep Walt Harris at distance. And what actually finished the fight was a beautiful front kick right to the solar plexus of Walt Harris. And you could see the wind get taken out of him. Kind of, uh, kind of similar to how when Jessica Andrade knocked out Kaylin Chikugian. She did it with a shot to the body and then Chikugian went down. Kind of the same thing happened to Walt Harris. He got the wind kicked out of him by a long front kick from Volkov. And that was the end of the fight as he went down and Volkov finished him off with some nice ground and pound. So big win for Volkov. He's definitely a heavyweight to watch out for. I think the matchup against Curtis Blades was just a bad matchup for him. Maybe they do a rematch. I'd love to see Volkov get matched up either with Jarzinho Rosenstrike or Junior Dos Santos. See how those fights play out. I think that would be very interesting. And for Walt Harris, he's really just got to go back to the drawing board, see what he did wrong, see what he can improve on because he hasn't had that great performances in his last two fights, a loss to Alistair Overeem and then a loss now to Alexander Volkov. But looking ahead to the heavyweight landscape in the title picture, there's no doubt that the next guy that should be challenging Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title is Francis Ngannou, especially because he looks so impressive getting that 22nd knockout over a fellow knockout artist in Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So we'll see if we get Ngannou versus Miocic in the not-too-distant future. However, if we don't see that fight, we got to see what happens with John Jones. Is he the next guy to take on Stipe Miocic? I don't think he deserves a heavyweight title shot right away. I think if John Jones is moving up to heavyweight, he should fight a heavyweight contender and not the champion. Maybe match him up against Junior Dos Santos or Alistair Overeem and see how he does against a big guy like that before you match him up with the heavyweight champion in Stipe Miocic. However, Francis Ngannou could indeed knock out Miocic. They already fought once and Miocic won by decision. So we'll wait to see what happens with the heavyweight picture. But definitely a big win for Alexander Volkov. A really great all-around performance he put on against an overmatched opponent in Walt Harris. Now let's move on to the co-main event at UFC 254, which was between Robert Whitaker and Jared Kinnanier. And the winner of this fight could be fighting Israel Adesanya for the title. After Adesanya knocked out Paulo Costa in dominant fashion, he said, if Jared Kinnanier beats Robert Whitaker, 
then he's next in line for the title. Well, that didn't end up happening as Robert Whitaker won by unanimous decision over Jared Cannonier. The odds for this fight were very close, pretty much a pick him 115, minus 115 on both sides. I liked Whitaker in this fight. I just think he's the former middleweight champion. He's got a little bit more striking versatility and accuracy to his game. Jared Kanier is definitely the harder puncher and harder kicker, but he just couldn't get off enough offense to knock out Robert Whitaker over the course of this three-round fight that Whitaker won by unanimous decision, 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. I thought he probably won all three rounds. Kanier definitely had his moments, and then I think he solidified his win by getting a, a big head kick that knocked down Kanier in the third round, and then he couldn't quite finish him with some ground and pound. Kanier did a good job of recovering after that, and even had his own moments later on in that round, almost knocking out Robert Whitaker. So a really fun back and forth fight, but I thought what really controlled this fight was the overall striking acumen of Whitaker. He did a great job of not fighting Kanier's fight, keeping him at a distance with his long punches and his kicks. And Kanier, you could see, was definitely the harder striker because you could see the bruising on Kanier's leg. But guess what? Kanier also took some damage. As you could see, some bruising under his eye from the repeated punches that Whitaker was landing. Let's check out the fight stats here. Whitaker had one knockdown, which I previously mentioned. That came in the third round. That really solidified this decision win for him. He was 75 of 158 uh, total strikes, so landing 75, pretty good. He landed 59 to the head, 5 to the body, and 5 to the legs. So really attacking that head of Kanier with great effect. And then he had 2 minutes and 10 seconds of ground control time very important because I thought he would have the advantage if this fight went to the ground but most of it was fought on the feet and he had the advantage there as well because of his overall striking versatility his technique and his ability to keep an oncoming very aggressive fighter like Kanier on the outside. Kanier definitely had his moments but he didn't have enough didn't string together enough punches to really garner a decision win and then you look at Kanier's fight stats he landed 58 total strikes, 17 to the head, 14 to the body, and 22 to the legs with 30 seconds of ground control time. So definitely varied up the strikes more than Whitaker did. And you could tell they were really doing damage, not so much to the head of Whitaker, but to his body and legs with the bruising you could see. But he was still able to fend off those attacks enough times during the course of the fight to get this big decision win. And now I think he's in line to get a rematch against Israel Adesanya. I mean, he's beaten Darren Till. Now he's beaten Jared Kanier, two top middleweights. What more does he need to prove? And for Jared Kanier, I'd love to see him get matched up against a fighter like Paulo Costa, maybe Yoel Romero, see how he does against those fellow top middleweights. You know, I think it would be a really fun fight if they did indeed uh, get in the octagon together. And for Robert Whitaker right now, he's the number one contender. The rankings are as follows. 
Israel Adesanya, obviously the champion. I don't see him losing anytime soon. Then number one, Robert Whitaker. Number two, Paulo Costa. Number three, Jared Cannonier. Number four, Jack Hermanson. Number five, Yoel Romero. So those are your top five contenders right there. Maybe if Robert Whitaker doesn't get to fight Israel Adesanya, maybe he fights Paulo Costa. Both guys that Israel Adesanya has already beaten. So we'll see what happens regarding the middleweight division. Definitely a lot of exciting fights to look out for in that division. And Robert Whitaker put on the type of performance he needed to get himself right back into that title picture. Maybe getting that rematch against Israel Adesanya. And what really won him this fight against Cannoneer is that Cannoneer couldn't get his head off the line enough times. And Whitaker took full advantage of that, hitting the head of Cannoneer a lot over the course of three rounds. And Cannoneer just needs to really improve on his defense because he's got the knockout power. He's just got to set it up better against a very, very great opponent in Whitaker with more feints more striking versatility, and maybe some more takedowns mixed in there. But great win for Robert Whitaker. Now let's move on to the main event between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. Now going into this fight, Khabib was a big favorite, rightly so, I believe around minus 300, and Gaethje was the big underdog. And I thought even in the first round when it was stand-up, I thought that Khabib was beating Gaethje in the stand-up. Gaethje landed some nice kicks to the uh, kneecap range of Khabib that you could see Khabib did not like, and he was actually getting that area iced at the end of the first round. But guess what Khabib can do that really no other fighter can? He can take you down at will whenever he so chooses, and that's exactly what he did against Gaethje at the end of the first round and then again in the second round. So let's check out the fight stats here. Khabib, he landed 26 out of 80 total strikes. That's a lot of strikes for Khabib to throw, 80. Usually don't see that from a predominantly uh, wrestling champion. And then Gaethje, he landed 29 out of 46 total strikes. So definitely more accurate with his striking. Khabib landed 18 to the head, 7 to the body, and 1 to the legs. And then Gaethje, he landed 12 to the head, 2 to the body, and 15 to the legs. So you could see his game plan was really to attack the legs of Khabib and maybe slow him down in that sense. And he was pretty successful in that. It's just that Khabib is the most dominant wrestler we've ever seen in MMA. I mean, he's just on a different level. And he showed that once again against Gaethje, who, by the way, comes from a wrestling background. I believe he wrestled in college, but that doesn't matter against a guy like Khabib who just can take you down whenever he wants, and he does a great job of controlling his opponent's legs by, uh, you know, trapping them under his legs and then moving his opponent around the octagon on the ground as he sees fit, and he almost got the finish at the end of the first round with an armbar. He couldn't quite do it in time, so he got the finish in the second round. He took Gaethje down right after Gaethje landed another kick to the kneecap of Khabib. And he clearly did not like that. So he took Gaethje down at will. 
And pretty quickly after that, he was able to lock up a triangle choke on Gaethje and really press down on his head. And Gaethje tapped a few times. The referee did not see it. So he went unconscious for a brief moment. And uh, finally, the fight was stopped after a beautiful submission win for Khabib Nurmagomedov in the second round. And we found out post-fight that Khabib could have landed an armbar submission on Justin Gaethje, but he heard previous to the fight that Gaethje would not tap no matter what, so he didn't want to break Gaethje's arm, especially because Gaethje's parents were in attendance at the fight, and he didn't want for them to see their son get his arm broken, so instead of breaking his arm with an armbar, he opted for a triangle choke, which would just put Gaethje to sleep and not break any of his limbs. So that's what he did. But do you realize the level of skill it takes to be able to not go for one submission and instead go for another because you're thinking of your opponent's well-being? I mean, that's the level of wrestling. That's the wrestle of submission attacks that Khabib has had. And you look at the course of his career, Khabib has beat everyone he's fought against. He submitted most of his opponents. Let's uh, look at his fight history. He's 29-0. He has 8 knockouts and 11 submissions. To me, there's no doubt he's the GOAT in MMA. You look at how dominant he's been. I compare it to Amanda Nunes and her dominance on the women's side. But even Amanda Nunes isn't undefeated. Khabib is and he fought the best lightweights in the world. He beat Edson Barbosa, Al Iaquinta, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje. The last three wins all coming by submission to three of the best lightweights we've seen in the past little while in McGregor, Poirier, and Gaethje. He absolutely dominated them. They didn't have a chance. And Khabib showed he's just on a different level than most other fighters. Even top lightweights can't really compete with him. So I'm very impressed by his overall career. And as we all know, after the fight, he announced his retirement following the unfortunate passing of his father and also his coach in Abdul Manap Nurmagomedov. I mean, this guy really taught Khabib everything he knows in terms of wrestling and in terms of fighting. And that loss was just devastating for him. He lost his father back in July. And, you know, give him a lot of credit for even taking this fight against Gaethje because he could have just retired after the unfortunate passing of his father. However, he gave us fight fans one more great fight before he rides off into the sunset as not only the greatest lightweight in UFC history, but quite possibly the greatest fighter in UFC history in any weight class. And he got his wish. He's number one on the pound-for-pound rankings. And some people are going to argue that, no, John Jones is the GOAT. But guess what? John Jones has not looked particularly dominant in his fights against Thiago Santos and Dominic Reyes. A lot of people thought Jones might have actually lost those fights. You know, there's no doubt that Khabib won all his fights. There's no controversy there. Whereas John Jones, he vacated his light heavyweight title. And as I said, he didn't look particularly dominant in his last couple of fights. So for me, he's not the GOAT. I still put Khabib over him because of his level of dominance. And the guys he's beat, like Gaethje, 
Poirier and Conor McGregor. So very impressive stuff. I really hope this isn't the last time we see Khabib in the octagon because he is such a special fighter and it's a joy to watch him work whenever he does step into the octagon. So we'll see what happens if this retirement sticks or if he decides to come back. And I think the fight that all fight fans would love to see would be George St. Pierre taking on Khabib, Nervima, Gananov, two guys that definitely have a case for the GOAT in MMA. So we'll see if that fight does happen. It would be a dream matchup. But if it doesn't happen, an amazing career for Khabib. Dominated from start to finish the moment he came into the UFC and he retires as the greatest lightweight and perhaps the greatest fighter ever. And what was even more impressive to me about his performance against Justin Gaethje, who is primarily a striker, who we saw absolutely dominate Tony Ferguson over the course of five rounds. Well, guess what he did to that guy? He outstruck him on the feet, and then he took him down and submitted him. So overall, very impressive performance from Khabib on the feet, and then of course on the mat, where he is absolutely unrivaled in terms of what he can do with his grappling. But guess what, fight fans? We might have another fighter similar to Khabib, maybe not his level of dominance. We'll have to see what happens. But guess who I'm talking about? That's right, Kazma Shemaev, the first fighter to really remind me of Khabib in terms of his fighting style, in terms of his wrestling dominance, that somewhat is similar to how Khabib wrestles. So we'll see if Kazma Shemaev can carry on uh, you know, Khabib's legacy in terms of fighting in a similar style and dominating in a similar fashion. And by the way, it has been announced that Kazma Chmaev will be taking on Leon Edwards, uh, I believe in a fight coming up in December, so looking forward to that one. Right now, Leon Edwards is the third ranked welterweight behind Kobe Covington, Gilbert Burns, then you have Leon Edwards, Horace. Jorge Masvidal, and Stefan Thompson. So we'll see what happens there. I expect Kazma Shemaev to beat him. And in the not-too-distant future, he'll be challenging for the title against Kamara Usman. So, once again, a big congratulations to Khabib Nurmagomedov, who retires as the number one pound-for-pound in the UFC rankings and perhaps the best fighter in UFC history. That's definitely up for a debate but he definitely has made a very strong case as being that. Now, here are the rankings for pound for pound. Khabib is at the top, John Jones second, Israel Adesanya third, Stipe Miocic fourth, Kamara Usman fifth, sixth, Alexander Volkanovsky, seven, Dustin Poirier, eight, Max Holloway, nine, Peter Jan, and ten, Justin Gaethje. So, we'll see what happens there and if any of those rankings change with the coming fights. So that will conclude my recap of UFC 254, Khabib vs. Gaethje. Now let's get into some boxing previews. This may just be the busiest fight weekend on the calendar coming up this Friday and Saturday. I'll go ahead and start with Friday's fight in the main event on Dazan from Indio, California. On October 30th, we've got the very exciting Jaime Munguia taking on Torino Johnson. Of course, I've got Munguia winning this fight, most likely by knockout. This guy's just a come-forward fighter. 
He fights with a lot of speed, a lot of power, a lot of activity in there, throwing a lot of punches. He's very exciting to watch. So whenever Munguia steps into the ring, you're going to want to tune in. The one weakness he might have is his defense, which he definitely has to improve if he wants to go from a great fighter to an elite fighter. So we'll see if that happens, if he's improved on his defense uh, going into this fight against Torino Johnson. So I've got Munguia to win. I'll say eighth round knockout for Munguia. Cannot wait for that fight coming up this Friday. And then we've also got a title fight between Elwin Soto and Carlos Boitrago. I'll go with Soto here to win. Uh, I just think he's the better fighter, the faster fighter. And uh, this is a really strong card. So you're going to want to tune in. We've also got Lamont Roach Jr. fighting. Rashadi Ellis versus Alexis Rocha in the co-main event. So Dazan definitely put on a pretty strong fight card coming up this Friday with Munguia versus Torino Johnson in the main event. And Munguia, a Mexican fighter who right now he's only 24 years old, really just starting out his very promising career, and he will be defending his WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title against Torino Johnson and previous to that he knocked out Gary O'Sullivan in the 11th round. His record right now is 35 wins, no losses, 28 wins by knockout and 7 by decision. Clearly he's got a lot of knockout power, a very talented fighter and his opponent Torino Johnson, his record is 21-2-1 and his two losses have come to Sergei Dervinchenko, the guy that almost beat Gennady Golovkin and most recently lost to Jamal Charlo. And then he also lost to Curtis Stevens by TKO in the 10th round. And he lost uh, to Dervinchenko by TKO in the 12th round. So, a uh, very quality fighter, only having two losses on his record. And he's beat guys like Jason Quigley before. Fabiano Soros, Iman O'Kane. So this should be a pretty competitive fight. I just think the youth and the power of Munguia and the oncoming pressure that he fights with will be too much for Torino Johnson to overcome, who's definitely a very quality fighter, but he's 36 years old. He's fighting a guy that's 24, that's improving every fight on the up and up in his career. So, really looking forward to that fight. Munguia, a very exciting fighter to watch. Fights with that Mexican come-forward style with a lot of power, a lot of accuracy. So, really looking forward to that. And as I said, I got Munguia by 8th round TKO. Now, let's move on to the next fight card on the schedule. On October 31st from Las Vegas on ESPN+. Plus. This Halloween, we've got a title fight between the monster Naiwa Inoue versus Jason Maloney. 12 rounds for Inoue's IBF and WBA bantamweight world titles. Inoue is an absolute destroyer in there. He knocks guys out with regularity. He fights with a lot of anger, it seems, a lot of aggression. And guys just can't withstand that over the course of 12 rounds. Inoue is a Japanese fighter. He's 27 years old and he's undefeated in his career. 
He's got 19 wins, 0 losses, 16 by knockout, and 3 by decision. And if you haven't seen his most recent fight against Nonito Donaire, go back and watch it. One of the best fights in 2019. A unanimous decision win for Inoue, but it was a very exciting fight. Some back and forth action. Donaire really pushed him, but Inoue's power, his aggression, and his youth ultimately got him that win over Donaire in the World Boxing Super Series final. And uh, now he's taking on Jason Maloney. Of course, we know the Maloney twins because they previously fought in the Vegas bubble earlier on in the summer. And Maloney, Jason Maloney, got a big uh, seventh round knockout of Leandro Baez when he fought previously. That was back in June of 2020. Now he's taking on the monster in Iowa anyway. A big step up in, in competition for him. And... Jason Maloney, he's from Australia. He's 29 years old. He's the twin of Andrew Maloney, also a boxer. But he's never quite fought a guy with the power, the speed, the accuracy, the aggression that Inoue fights with and what makes him such an exciting fighter to watch. I can't wait to see what Inoue does here. I'm expecting another knockout win for him against Jason Maloney, I don't think he has quite the boxing acumen that Nonito Donaire did, which made it such a competitive and fun fight against Inoue. I think Maloney might just get overwhelmed in this fight, and I'm expecting a knockout in the middle rounds. I'll say a 6th or 7th round knockout for Inoue over Maloney, as uh, he's fighting for only the second time in his career in the U.S. He usually fights in Japan. So it'll be a real treat to see him fight in the main event in Vegas come Halloween night. And then let's check out who he's beaten. He's beaten Nonino Donaire, as I previously mentioned. Emmanuel Rodriguez by second round TKO. Juan Carlos Payano by first round TKO. Jamie McDonald by first round TKO. Yoan Boyax by third round TKO. So all these are really early round knockouts for him proving that he can get rid of guys very early and he doesn't necessarily need to get the rounds in and wait for the knockout. If the knockout comes, he takes it. If it doesn't, he just boxes his way to it. He's just a really well-rounded fighter and I love watching him fight. He's a very exciting fighter to watch, so I can't wait to see what he does against Maloney in the main event on ESPN Plus from Las Vegas. And hopefully anyway can become the undisputed champ at bantamweight at 118 pounds. The other two champions right now in the WBC, it's Nordine Ubali of France and John Riel Casimero of the Philippines. Let's see if they can get a unification bout between Inoue and one of those two fighters. Because I think he's the best bantamweight in the world. And I think it's only a matter of time before he becomes the undisputed champion. And then in the co-main event, we've got Iwa Brodnika taking on Michaela Mayer. 10 rounds for Brodnika's WBO junior lightweight title. I'm not really too familiar with Brodnika. However, I did see Michaela Mayer when she fought previously in the bubble absolutely dominated in her performance so we'll see what happens there I'm not going to give a pick because like I said I'm not familiar with Bronica 
But Michaela Mayer is definitely an American boxer to watch out for on the woman's side. She has really good boxing skills and it looks like she's improving in every fight. And I'm really excited to see her get this co-main event slot. And previous to that, she actually made history as the first woman to be in the main event of a fight card on ESPN. So this time she gets the co-main event slot. Previous to that, she beat Helen Joseph by unanimous decision uh, over the course of 10 rounds. And that was back on July 14th. And like, like I said, that was the main event making history as a woman in the main event. So big props to her. And now she gets another big opportunity here in the co-main event fighting uh, the champion in Brodnika. And don't forget to tune in for the first fight on the card because we've got Jared Anderson versus Luis Eduardo Pena. Six rounds in the heavyweight division. Jared Anderson is an American prospect one of the most promising heavyweight prospects I've seen in quite a while. And he's American, so big props for that. He's a very young fighter, just starting out in his career. But he started his career with a few knockouts. I expect him to get another knockout uh, when he fights Pena in the, the first fight on the card. So tune into that to see a great heavyweight prospect in action. Now let's move on to the next fight card on the schedule. Also on October 31st from San Antonio, Texas on Showtime pay-per-view, we've got in the title fight Gervonta Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz, 12 rounds for Davis, WBA lightweight title, and Santa Cruz's WBA junior lightweight title. So this will be a unification bout and a big opportunity for Gervonta Davis. In the co-main event, We've got Mario Barrios versus Ryan Carl. Uh, 12 rounds for Barrios' WBA regular junior welterweight title. And then in the third fight, Regis Progres taking on Juan Geraldez. 10 rounds junior welterweights. Really looking forward to these fights. And then also Diego Maldonado taking on Isaac Cruz. 10 rounds IBF lightweight title eliminator. I like Diego Magdaleno to get the win there. I like Regis Progres to get the win over Juan Geraldez. He fought a very competitive fight against Josh Taylor in the World Boxing Super Series final for the IBF and vacant ring light welterweight titles. It was a very exciting fight that Josh Taylor won by majority decision. Both guys definitely had their moments. And maybe if Progres looks really great here against Juan Geraldez, he can maybe get a rematch with Josh Taylor. He's definitely one of the best 140-pounders in the world, and I'm excited to see him fight again. His record is 24-1, his one loss coming by majority decision to Josh Taylor, and he's got 20 wins by knockout and 4 by decision. He's one of the best boxers in his division. He's beaten fighters like Carol Relic, uh, Terry Flanagan, Juan Jose Velasco, Julius Indongo by second round TKO, Joel Diaz Jr. by also second round TKO. So this guy's got a lot of power. I'm expecting him to knock out Juan Geraldas. I'll say fifth round TKO for Regis Progres. And if he doesn't get matched up with either Josh Taylor 
or Jose Ramirez? How about match him up with Arnold Barbosa Jr., the guy that looked absolutely great against Alex Saucedo? I think that would be a great, you know, contender eliminator if Barbosa Jr. and Progres agree to fight each other. So we'll see if that happens. I'm really hoping we get these big time matchups in the 140 pound division. Hopefully, the two fights we get are Jose Ramirez taking on Josh Taylor and also Regis Progres taking on Arnold Barbosa Jr. I think that would be really great for the 140 pound division. We'll see if those fights happen. But first, Progres has to get past his opponent in Juan Geraldes, which I expect he'll do without too much difficulty. And then in the co-main event, we've got Mario Barrios defending his regular junior welterweight title against Ryan Carl. And I expect Barrios to get the win here. I'm not really too familiar with Ryan Carl. However, I have seen Mario Barrios fight before. He's a very solid Mexican fighter, not quite elite, but still a very worthy fighter and his record right now is 25-0, 16 wins by knockout and 9 by decision so he can get it done either way. In his last fight he got a unanimous decision win over Batar Agmedov. Um, that was back in September of 2019 so quite the long layoff for him and then previous to that he knocked out Juan Jose Velasco in the second round. So this guy's definitely got knockout power. And that's all I'll say he knocks out Ryan Carl in the sixth round. I'm really looking forward to this fight card. You've got a lot of talented fighters uh, just on this Showtime fight card. Now moving on to the main event between Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz for Davis' WBA lightweight title and Santa Cruz's WBA junior lightweight title. Now Gervonta Davis is the pretty big favorite going into this fight. So I'm really looking forward to how this all plays out. And looking at the odds here, Gervonta Davis is minus 700 favorite Leo Santa Cruz plus 450 underdog. And this should be a fun style matchup because on one side we've got Gervonta Davis who's got knockout power, one punch knockout power. On the other side we've got Leo Santa Cruz who loves to stay active in there, doesn't necessarily have that one-punch knockout power, but he'll overwhelm opponents with his activity level and his overall work rate. And he's really going to need to throw a lot of punches in order to keep the power puncher in Gervonta Davis on the outside. Leo Santa Cruz is a Mexican boxer. He's 32 years old with a 69 inch reach and he stands at five foot seven and a half. This guy's a very talented fighter. Looking at his record, he has 37 wins, one loss, and one draw. And he's got wins over Miguel Flores, Abner Mares, Chris Avalos, Carl Frampton, Kiko Martinez, Jesus Ruiz, Manuel Roman. So this guy's been in there against some very quality fighters, but I don't think he's ever been in with the guy that punches with the power that Gervonta Davis does. And the one loss that Leo Santa Cruz has came against Carl Frampton by majority decision. 
back in 2016. However, he avenged that loss in 2017 in their rematch by getting a majority decision win over Carl Frampton. So he's avenged his only career loss to the very talented Carl Frampton. So we'll see how he does going in there against a power puncher in Gervonta Davis. I'm picking Davis to win, I'll say, by 11th round knockout. I think it's a late round knockout because I think there's a lot of back and forth action early on in the fight. But eventually, Gervonta Davis gets on the inside, starts to really work the body of Leo Santa Cruz because he's going to be a big target for him. And then eventually, the head will follow. We'll see if he can get the finish. But if not, I still like Gervonta Davis to win by decision. Davis is 25 years old. He's five foot six and a half with a 67 and a half inch reach. So only about a foot height advantage for Leo Santa Cruz and about two inch reach advantage for Santa Cruz. Shouldn't really matter too much when they're in there uh, fighting against each other. And looking at his boxing record, he's 23 and 0 with 22 wins by knockout and one by decision. This guy has absolutely amazing knockout power. Can get guys out of there with the left or the right hand. He's beaten guys like Eurokis Gamboa, Ricardo Nunez, Hugo Ruiz, Jesus Celar, Francisco Fonseca, Liam Walsh, Jose Pedraza. So he's been in there against some very quality fighters. But I would say Leo Santa Cruz is probably his toughest challenge yet. However, I still expect him to win this fight because of his punching power, his accuracy, and his ability to just overwhelm opponents into the later rounds. Now, Leo Santa Cruz can do the same thing, but I think he might slow down a little bit in terms of his punching activity because of the body work that Gervonta Davis will employ as he gets on the inside to set up those big punches to the head. So really looking to this whole fight card, a lot of great fights on this fight card, especially the main event, and I'm picking Gervonta Davis by 11th round knockout. But guess what? That's not all the fights on Halloween. From London on Dazan, we've got Alexander Usyk taking on Derek Chisora on October 31st. 12 rounds in the heavyweight division. Alexander Usyk is a Ukrainian fighter, the former undisputed cruiserweight champion. He held all four belts, but then he vacated those belts in order to move up to heavyweight and try to conquer that division as well. He might be the greatest cruiserweight of all time, and now he has a chance to continue to add to his legacy as an elite heavyweight and he's only fought once before at heavyweight he beat Chaz Witherspoon by a seventh round knockout and that was back in October of 2019 so more than a year layoff and he now he's taking on Derek Chisora in his second fight at heavyweight Derek Chisora is a British boxer uh, he's fought at heavyweight a lot longer than Alexander Usyk has, and his record is 32 and 9, with wins over David Price, Arthur Spil- Spilska, uh, Sinad Gashi. He's lost to Dillian White, uh, Aji Kabayel, 
uh, Kubrat Pulev, Tyson Fury. So Chisora has been in there with some of the top heavyweights in the world. So this will be a really good test for Alexander Usyk to see where exactly he stands in the heavyweight division. I expect him to beat Derek Chisora because of his overall boxing technique. Usyk is a very sound fighter without a lot of weaknesses. His record is 17-0 with 13 wins by knockout and 4 by decision. He can get it done in all facets of the game, from boxing his opponent to a win to getting the knockout. He's very impressive. He knocked out Tony Bellew back in November of 2018, got a unanimous decision win over Murat Gassiev. However, since this is only his second fight in the heavyweight division, it still remains to be seen if his power can really translate into that division and he can become a dominant heavyweight, just like he was a dominant and the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. So I'll go ahead and predict Alexander Usyk to win by 10th round knockout. I think he gets it done late in this fight because Chisora is a very quality heavyweight, but I think Usyk's power and his overall technique will really get the better of Chisora as he finds his timing later on in the fight and really starts to string together some power punches. And guess what, fight fans? One more fight card coming up this Saturday on October 31st in the main event from Krasanya Polanya, Russia. We've got Murat Gassiev taking on Nuri Seferi. I'm not really too familiar with Seferi, so I'll pick Gassiev to win by knockout here. He's a very impressive cruiserweight. His record is 26-1 and 1-0 no contest. His only career loss came to Alexander Usyk by unanimous decision. And he's also beaten Uniel Dordikos by 12th round TKO. Denis Lebev by split decision. Christoph uh, Wolzakik by KO in the third round. So this guy's a very impressive cruiserweight. And I expect him to get the knockout over the relatively unknown uh, Nuri Safari. Let's look at Safari's record here. He is 38-8, and eight, and I'm not really too familiar with how he fights, but I'm more familiar with Murat Gassiev, who's a pretty sound fighter overall with pretty decent punching power. And as I said, he has 26 wins, 19 by knockout, and 7 by decision. So expect another knockout here over Nuri Safari. And if Murat Gassiev can get past Safari, the fighter I'd love to see him get matched up with is Marius Bredis. Bredis recently got a majority decision win over Uniel Dortikos back in September of 2020. So both of these fighters, both Gassiev and Bredis, have beaten Uniel Dortikos. And it's time for them to get matched up against each other because it would be a unification bout in the cruiserweight division. However, I'm seeing for this fight, uh, Murat Gassiev is fighting Nuri Safari for the vacant WBA international heavyweight title, meaning this fight is at heavyweight and not at cruiserweight. So maybe we won't get that matchup between Bredis and Gassiev that we all want to see if Gassiev has indeed moved up to heavyweight. 
Maybe he fights Alexander Usyk once again, this time in the heavyweight division. We'll see what happens, but I'm picking Gassiev to win this fight, I'll say by six-round knockout. So that will conclude my boxing previews for this weekend. Let me just recap the fight cards here. On October 30th, this Friday, in the main event, Jaime Munguia versus Torino Johnson. And then on October 31st, in the main event, Naiwa Inoue versus Jason Maloney. Also, Gervonta Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz. Alexander Usyk versus Derek Chisora. And finally, Murat Gassiev versus Nuri Safari. An amazing and very busy weekend of fights. Cannot wait for this weekend. Should be a lot of great fights. Now, let's get into my UFC recap to end the episode. On October 31st, from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, we've got UFC Fight Night Hall vs. Silva. Main card starts on ESPN Plus at 4 p.m., prelims on ESPN Plus at 1 p.m. So, let's check out the main event here. We've got the legend Anderson the Spider Silva taking on Uriah Hall. Hall checks in as the favorite at minus 230, while Silva is the underdog at plus 190. Hall is 6 feet, 185 pounds, with a 79.5 inch reach, and he is 36 years old. His opponent, Anderson Silva, is 6 foot 2, 185 pounds, with a 77 inch reach, and he is 45 years old and still going strong. However, he has lost his last two fights, a knockout loss to Jared Cannonier in the first round, and a unanimous decision loss to Israel Adesanya. However, previous to that, he got a unanimous decision win over Derek Brunson. And then at, uh, previous to that, unanimous decision loss to Daniel Cormier and to Michael Bisping. So ever since he got knocked out by Chris Weidman back in 2013, he just hasn't been that same dominant fighter that we're used to seeing. However, Anderson Silva is an absolute legend in this sport with wins over guys like Vitor Belfort, Rich Franklin, Dan Henderson, Patrick Cote, Thales Latis, Forrest Griffin, Damian Maya, Chael Sonnen, Stefan Bonner. So this guy is one of the most amazing fighters in UFC history. Very exciting style, throws a lot of feints, really tries to confuse his opponents with his movement. And even though he's the underdog in this fight against Uriah Hall, I still like him to win this fight by unanimous decision. So I'm going with Anderson Silva to pull off the upset against Uriah Hall. And let's look at Hall's record here. He's 16-9. He has two recent wins over Antonio Carlos Jr. and Bevan Lewis. Previous to that, he got knocked out by Paulo Costa in the second round. He also has two losses to Gagard Musasi by knockout in the first round, and also Derek Brunson knockout in the first round. A guy that Anderson Silva recently beat in Derek Brunson, so we'll see what happens here. 
And Silver's record is 34 and 10 with 22 wins by knockout and four by submission. I just think that Silva's wealth of experience and knowledge of the fight game will be too much for Uriah Hall to overcome over the course of this fight. Hall doesn't really have too many weaknesses, but Silva just does everything a little bit better than Hall in terms of striking. And also I think if this fight does go to the ground, that Silva has the advantage there as well. So wherever this fight goes, I feel like Silva should have the advantage, which is why I am picking him to get the upset decision win over Uriah Hall. Well, thank you so much for listening, my fellow believers, to episode number 20 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network. That will conclude episode number 20. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to go out and vote. And also make sure to wear your mask and continue to social distance. Go Dodgers, go Lakers, Kobe forever, Mamba forever. Everyone have a great weekend and enjoy all the amazing fights. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.